This is The Royal Report with Caroline DeRusso. Good evening, I'm Caroline DeRusso and welcome to The Royal Report. The show where every Sunday here on Sky we delve into the latest on all things Windsor. The coronation, the headlines, the polls and the family dramas. Here's what's coming up on the program tonight. The Princess of Wales is putting a personal touch on her working royal image, see what she's up to and how she's influencing Princess Charlotte's future. You know you've made it in Hollywood when you've been parodied on South Park. The great 2D cartoon has slapped down Meghan and Harry and their world privacy tour. We have the rundown on that. And lastly, the invitations for the coronation have gone out and the RSVPs are rolling in. So, are the Sussexes coming? But first, this week, National Australian treasurer Hugh Jackman predicted that, that it's inevitable Australia will become a republic and that it's a natural part of our evolution. Well, if that's his view, that's his view. During the reign of Queen Elizabeth, 14 Commonwealth countries became republics. And last week on the show, Nicholas Owen was firm in his view that this trend would continue during the reign of King Charles. The question for Australia is what are the drivers for Australia becoming a republic and how will that conversation occur? For the record, I'm firmly in the if it's not broke, don't fix it camp and I'd need to be swayed that a republic would be a net benefit to Australia. And that's the rub. The proponents of the republicanism span the political spectrum. It isn't a strictly left or right issue. Many consider the notion of monarchy anachronistic and believe Australia has developed enough of its own identity beyond the need of a foreign monarch to front it. Well, that's an argument. It's valid enough. And it's probably an easier sell now than perhaps it was in the past. However, the rampant elitists at the Australian Republican movement remain the greatest gift that monarchists could ever hope for. Instead of framing republicanism in a way that is relevant and digestible to middle Australia, it's become a narrow ideological revolt, which firmly jolts it to the progressive left and alienates everyday Australians. Last month, the new head of the Australian Republican movement, Craig Foster, tweeted this. Worthwhile reading for all Australians, the Crown is built on racism and plunder of Indigenous populations, including First Nations. As we learn our own history, the irreconcilable nature of hereditary privilege and historical racism becomes overwhelming. Well, that's quite the word salad. And I wish someone would explain to me how this helps their cause. By forcing republicanism through a contrived and historical prism which bears little re relevance to modern Australia, it turns a mainstream issue into a niche ideological one. The Australian Republican movement needs to get out of the weeds and explain to Australians the benefit of moving to a republic. Tell us why it's good for us. Because the belligerent activist hand-wringing will only make the status quo look more palatable for longer. And so if that's Jackman's view, it's fair enough. But where inevitable sits on the time continuum depends largely on how well and how quickly the Australian Republican movement gets its act together. They have to make significant progress during the reign of King Charles because any urgency to become a republic may well dissipate once William takes the throne. This is as much about perception as it is about practical reality. And without a well-explained case, it will remain a theoretical bugbear that no one can be bothered properly addressing. 
We'll talk about this and more later in the show. But first up is writer and broadcaster Esther Kraku. Esther, welcome back to the show. Let's start with Princess Kate. We understand that she's doing some things differently to the Queen as she forges her own path as a senior royal. Part of that relates to her patronages. What is she doing differently? So unlike uh, the Queen, who had many patronages and didn't really specifically focus on one issue to champion, um, Princess Kate has made it very clear that there are a few issues that are central to her role as a working royal and future Queen, and that she's chosen to champion. In particular, you know, her, her work with focusing on young children and giving them the best start in life. Um, and she's kind of, it's really interesting how she's evolved, evolving her role as almost a maternal figure in the country, um, but in a way that's very different from how the Queen did it, um, in the sense that she's actually taken on very specific uh, sort of roles and patronages, as opposed to the Queen, who was a bit more broad um, in that sense. And it's really going to be interesting watching her evolution in that way, um, because it's definitely a break away from tradition. And it's, it's going to see how, you know, it's going to take the, the royals really into the 21st century with the rest of the public. And is this part of the much publicised slimming down of the royal family that we've heard so much spoken about? I think so, but it's also an evolution of her role uh, as a future queen. Um, I think, you know, th there was a different time to when Queen Elizabeth became queen in the sense that she didn't really have the time to grow in the public eye in the same way that Princess Kate has. Obviously, Princess Kate was not born a royal, um, so she's really had to uh, ingratiate herself in the public in a different way. Um, so I think it's more of an evolution of, of just uh, sort of her, her role as, as a working royal and fitting with modern Britain as opposed to just, you know, a complete breakaway from tradition. And just continuing in that vein, that there's a really good point. It's also been reported this week that Princess Charlotte is being raised with the expectation that she'll get a job rather than be a senior working royal. Is that right? Yes, that's that's what we're hearing from from the palace, and you know it has it's kind of in line with what what the king has always said he wants to do, which is slim down the monarchy. Many many European royals have done the same thing, particularly in Norway, where you know the the royal family and working royals have literally just been slimmed down to the king, his heir, and and the heir after him. So uh, it, it, it's keeping in line with what we knew that King Charles had in mind all the time as well. Um, I'm sure that um, you know Princess Charlotte will be still be raised to understand her duty as a royal and, and how she will relate to, to the public. But it, it, I think it's refreshing that she's been given the option to be able to actually carve her own path and get a job and live a normal life, um, like most of us would like to as well. And do you think that, that there is part of the royal family remaining relevant to modern Britain as opposed to sitting apart from, from everyday Britons? Absolutely, as well. And I, I also think that, you know, there's an element of uh, a bit of the fallout from the Sussexes as well, uh, because many people feel like because, you know, Harry was, was brought up in a very particular way, he wasn't given as many options or uh, choices in life. Um, and so I believe that the royal family really want to learn as many positive lessons as you can take from the whole saga with the, the Sussexes and really just show their, their, um, their uh, offspring that there is a different path and a path that can really still be relevant to Britain as well. And part of that, which I suppose sits, sits apart from um, that, that relevance to everyday Britons, is that Charlotte is, we understand, the wealthiest of the royal children. So how has that come about and how will that frame the development of their future, if at all? 
I think it will really just show that the royals are actually not that different from normal people. I mean, obviously, we, we, grew up, we grew up seeing the royal family as sort of this untouchable the thing, this entity that we, we all look up to in a way. But at the end of the day, they are still people. They're, they're very privileged people, but they are still people that are British and, and have, reflect modern British, British society in the way that they go about um, their dealings. Obviously, that's not the same as not going to be said for her brother, um, because he will be the king. But she should be able to have the option to forge her own life. And it just shows that the royal family is act are not actually out of, as out of touch as some people would seem. Now, Esther, I don't know about you, but I grew up with South Park, and nothing in their sights has ever been sacred. And they do have this, in my view, perfectly irreverent way of reading the room. This week, they've taken a swipe at Harry and, Ma uh, Harry and Meghan, and it's gone viral. We want privacy! We want privacy! Hey, thanks for having us on the show! It's so awesome to be here, it's great. So let me start with you, Sam. You've lived a life with the royal family, you've had everything handed to you, but you say your life has been hard, and now you've written all about it in your new book, Wee. Yes, that's right, friend. You see, my wife and I, I are totally like, you should write a book because your family like stupid and then so are like journalists. So you hate journalists. That's right. And now you wrote a book that reports on the lives of the royal family. Right. So you're a journalist. We just want to be normal people. All this attention is so hard. Esther, why did this play so well? <laughs> uh, one, because it was very funny. I actually watched the entire episode and I was howling laughing. I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I think it really encapsulates how many Americans are feeling. Uh, the, the, episode was, the, the episode was very clever in the sense that they call them the Canadian royal family, which is technically true. Um, but it, it really was kind of a play on, on modern times. I think one of the reasons why it really resonated is because it was so cutthroat and brutally honest. You know, the Sussexes have made it very clear that one of the reasons why they were leaving the royal family was in pursuit of their own privacy. And in, in the time since, in the years since, they've done everything to prove the opposite. You know, they, they can't seem to get enough of media attention. I don't think people understand even the Harry's book that's been released is part of it's part of a multi-book deal, right? You know, how many people leave their family and, and record themselves on the plane the entire time or have a film crew follow them all over their adventures in pursuit of privacy? I mean, in the South Park episode, it was literally called the Pri Privacy World Tour, um, which was I thought was a fantastic play on the circumstances. But I also think it just goes to show that really they are getting out of touch with, with the American public more broadly because I, I think people are just starting to not understand what exactly the grievances are of a very wealthy, privileged couple could possibly be to warrant all this constant media attention and this constant whinging. Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't the first time that uh, South Park has had a crack. They also had a crack at the royal wedding. Indian Prince now dipping his arms into the pudding, as is tradition. Princess will, of course, scrape the pudding off the princess's arms, thus symbolizing their union. What a glorious day for our country and indeed the world. And now, of course, the... Wait a minute. What's this? Oh, uh-oh, something is going terribly wrong. The abbey is shaking violently as explosions abound. The top... Yes, the top of the abbey is collapsing. The prince and the princess look on in horror. This is not the tradition. This is not tradition at all. Bright beam of light shooting through the hole in the ceiling. The princess now in some kind of isometric cube. This is certainly breaking with tradition now. That also made me laugh. I just thought that that was so exceptionally funny. And do you think this sort of parody plays to the views of, of younger people, uh, you know, the, their views that they have towards the royals more generally? 
I think absolutely. I think it's it's really it's it's meme culture. It's a re it's a reflection of, of of what people are actually feeling. I often say that South Park are equal opportunity haters. Um, so no one is safe. Mm -hmm. I don't think this was unique to the Sussexes, but I do I do find it amusing how well they encapsulated uh, most people's feelings around the Sussexes, whether you're you, you're for them, you're against them, whether you're sympathetic to their plight or not. I think at some point everyone can realize that all this oversharing and all this constant you know complaining it really does become grating when most people are in a cost of living crisis and you have this couple that are living on a mansion in, in Montecito with, with a bunch of chicken coops. <laughs> I'd pay good money to see that. Uh, Esther, thank you so much for joining us again. No doubt we'll have a chat with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Up after the break, Camilla has a secret trick to keeping the king on track in public. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Royal Report and I'm joined by our expert royal panel, news.com.au royal commentator Bronte Coy and media writer for The Australian, Soph Ellsworth. Ladies, welcome back to the show. Now, I spoke about Australia potentially becoming a republic in my editorial uh, and I think that the first world whinging from the Australian Republican movement is our winner for Monarchus, Soph. Do they not see the damage they're doing to their own prospects or do they just not care? Well, Caroline, I don't think they do see the damage that they're doing to their prospects. Uh, Peter Fitzsimons was really a gift that kept giving until he stepped back down from the Republican movement. But I don't think they're prosecuting their case well enough. And I really don't believe at this point in time Australians want to move to a republic. I know the left side of the media loves to whip this up and stir it up as if it's something that Australians want. But as we know, the Prime Minister has said it's not something he's going to look at in this term of office. And I don't think it's something that's going to happen anytime soon. As much as uh, the left side of politics would love this to happen, I think they're dreaming. Yeah, I think that they are too. And there has been a lot of talk about it, um, but I, I don't see it being a, a priority for Australians. But Bronte, you'd think knowing the age of the Queen and obviously with her passing away, you'd think they would have been more strategic about this, particularly given that there's been such a big change to the face of the monarchy, but it just seems like they have no plan here. It is interesting, even when I was in England at the time that the Queen died, there was this extreme swell of support for Charles and surely, there, as you said, there could have been a strategy in, in place from the Republican movement, perhaps at that time um, and it, possibly also they didn't quite anticipate just how much support there'd be for him in the wake of the Queen's death. It's almost like people rallied around him recognising that it's his mother and so while they were mourning, it, uh, it g gathered a bit more steam there. But, yeah, I mean, certainly the writing was on the wall with the Queen's age uh, and, and it does seem to be something that there isn't a huge appetite for right now. Even Anthony Albanese, as Sophie mentioned, has said that he won't be putting this to... Um, making any changes during this term of office. So certainly it doesn't seem to be anything that will be in the next few years at least. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. So last week I spoke about uh, Camilla and how she's the woman who just holds the whole show together. Apparently she has a trick which keeps King Charles on track at public events. What does she do? Well, she gives him a little bit of a tug uh, behind him to say, you know, pull yourself into line or let's get going. Uh, and, you know, this is something that I think isn't such a bad idea. We saw that issue that King Charles had when his pen wasn't working and he got a bit agitated. Uh, Camilla seems to be the calming force behind King Charles. Uh, so everyone's got their ways of handling their partners and I think, uh, you know, she's clever in doing this because we have seen him get a bit flustered publicly. Uh, he does say a few things that perhaps he might not think is it the right thing to say at the time. He might, you know, blurt out something that's not quite correct or he might get a bit hot under the collar like he did that time uh, in Northern Ireland. So uh, this is the secret to her to keep him into line and I don't think it's such a bad idea. No, not at all, particularly given uh, how, how constant the, the, the media attention is. Now, uh, Bronte, the other thing we talked a bit about last week was the, the turnaround in, in public sentiment to, towards Camilla. Um, it's been a huge change, um, but I'd really like your view on it. I didn't have you on the show last week, but I'd love your view on it. It's impressive, isn't it? It is impressive. I think that Camilla's weathered a lot of storms in her time. I mean, there's nothing more damaging than the War of the Waleses in the 90s. And I think that people have recognised that she is Charles's partner in every sense of the word, and she clearly is good for him. Even talking about something like pulling on his coat to let him know that he's gone on a little long, she's just his partner in the truest sense of it. And I think that that's what people have seen over the years. That's gone on for, for really at least two decades now. And I think that that uh, is going to be her enduring legacy, is that she is... Uh, um, she's he's he's constant. Uh, he's constant in his life. Yeah, I think that's fair. And Bronte, one more for you. The invitations to the coronation have gone out. Are the Sussexes invited, and are they coming? By all reports, the Sussexes have been invited, and that was to be expected. Uh, it, there isn't really any other way moving forward here than Charles for him not to invite them. But whether they come or not is the question. I personally believe that they will because I don't see that you'd, they'd miss the opportunity to be part of such a historic event. Uh, and, you know, five, ten years down the track when the dust has settled, they possibly have considered the fact that they may regret it if they aren't part of it because it really is quite a final nail in the coffin if they don't attend. With that said, it's really a no-win situation for Charles. He had to invite them, but at the same time, whether they attended, whether they don't, it's going to be pulling focus. It will inevitably turn it into a little bit of a circus uh, because people will be paying attention to the Sussexes. What they're doing is Harry there on his own. Has Meghan come with him? Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a nightmare scenario to be honest. Either way, Sophie, I think that's fair. It's it's. It's a lose-lose situation or a win-win. Well, no, it's a lose-lose situation anyway. Um, <laughs> do you have any particular view on that? Well, I think that they really would love not to be invited so they could play the victim. Wouldn't this be a great book or a great sit-down with Oprah to say how disgusting our family are, we're not invited? That's exactly what I think uh, this toxic couple really want, Caroline. So I think mm. the king is playing it smart. I think it is smart to invite them. Uh, I think, as Bronte said, I think they will come along. They can't miss the opening of an envelope. But I, I just hope that it doesn't dimish, diminish the coronation focusing on King Charles 
and Megan doesn't put herself front and centre like she always tries to, so does her husband, to make themselves the story. So I hope they have some dignity uh, if they do attend, but I wouldn't put it past them to turn this into a tale as woe is me because that's what they do perfectly and so beautifully and they've made a fortune out of doing that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and as you know, uh, Soph, the internet is forever. I find it a bit interesting how some of Megan's recent statements don't appear to correlate with what she's said in the past. Do you think that by trying to frame herself in a certain way, she's actually making life harder for herself than it needs to be? I think if you're going to tell fibs, Caroline, you need to have an awfully good memory. And I think <laughs> she is not very good at getting her story straight. And she has said uh, in these posts on her website, the, the, her blog that used to exist, uh, that, you know, she made out that she wasn't really that familiar, she said now that she's not really that familiar with the royal family, yet her posts are... Uh, to the complete opposite of that. Uh, I think the problem with the internet, you're right, it is there forever. Meghan Markle is a narcissist. Uh, she loves the attention. She put all her thoughts down on the internet before she met Harry. She knew exactly who Harry was. She knew exactly who the royal family were. Uh, and there's, you know, allegations or claims that she didn't really know who they were or what they were about, I, I think is complete falsehood. So uh, she's got herself into a spot of bother here because, mm -hmm. as you know, the media are forensic with this stuff and they'll catch you out mm -hmm. if they think your story doesn't stack up. Yeah, absolutely. And Bronte, at what point does Megan run out of runway uh, with these talking points? It is interesting. Um, as we've just mentioned, she talked about how she didn't know who the much about the royals or she didn't know what the job entailed, but it was a story that she followed through the whole way. What's interesting is right before they got engaged, she uh, shut down that website that this was all published on and also shut down her Instagram. So um, you'd think that she's obviously had conversations with people in the palace about the fact that all this information will come out. In that same conversation, were they not looking at the website and sort of looking at the talking points? And then she did an engagement interview short time a very short time afterwards and that's when she said for the first time that she hadn't really known anything about Harry or his family. It is just, it's kind of baffling to be honest that there's that lack of preparedness for all this information to come out and I think as you say she's she's running out of runway because all of these things stack up and there's been so many of them that are inconsistent and the problem is it's just damaged her credibility overall so even when she is telling the truth and whenever that is we, people aren't really taking that, um, well they're taking it with a grain of salt to be honest. Yeah. Now, Soph, very, very quickly, uh, we've covered the contents of Prince Harry's memoir in great deal. He's made all sorts of information public, including some pretty private information about those in his close circle. But apparently he's now worried that others will reveal his secrets. I'm not even going to ask you a specific question. Just vent your spleen and you've got 30 seconds. Well, revenge is sweet and it's whether the royal family will seek revenge. I think they've got far more class than Harry. I don't think they'll do that. But uh, what goes around comes around. He's trashed them. He's made a fortune out of it. And, he sh and we should watch this space because I wouldn't be surprised if there's some leaking on him that will uh, do him immense damage. And I've got to say, my sympathy levels are extremely low.
<laughs> thank you, thanks, so Thank you, ladies. That's all we've got time for. Uh, now, just before we go, one thing that has become apparent in researching for this show is that every minor detail can become a royal story. This week, our friends at the Daily Star reported that in the aftermath of the Turkish earthquake, King Charles visited community leaders in Hounslow to, amongst other things, offer his condolences. He visited a local kebab shop and noted that the secret to a good kebab is all in the sauce. And that turned into a headline. The humble kebab became the subject of a royal story. No wonder the royal family is only ever a bee's proverbial away from scandal. And that's the show for tonight. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at the same time next week with all the latest on the royal roller coaster. Good night. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.